Welcome to Super Magic Agency Powers, the podcast created to help agency people develop their soft skills. I'm Lytton Alley, and I help people upgrade the way they work by adopting techniques and forming habits. Every week, I collect stories, ideas, and advice that will give you things to try to increase your work superpowers. In this week's episode, doing better at hiring people. Martin Kavanagh is a chartered occupational psychologist. He helps companies work out whether the candidates who have applied for jobs will do well in those roles that they've applied for, and if they're likely to stick around for the long term. I often feel a bit like people who I work with in agencies, when they're out interviewing people for a job, they're often seeing whether they get on well. It's a bit like they're trying to shop for new friends and make friends rather than hire employees. If you've been taught nothing about how to recruit people, is it enough just to interview somebody based on the fact that you know the job and you know whether or not somebody will fit into the company? There are all sorts of biases that get brought into an assessment process. And one of the most common ones is a similar to me bias, which is people look more favorably on people who behave and operate in a similar way to them. And you're probably already thinking, well, that brings in some real risks. So so that is exactly what you're saying. They're like, actually, this person would fit really well in with this team because they're just like me and we get on really well and uh, and you know we become re- both social and work friends and that'll be a really productive relationship and are they actually thinking about is this person the right person for that role have i really thought i've got too many of, of a particular type of person i need a different approach so we're mm. bringing something different to the team so so you, you've really flagged a risk that's quite common in in the selection process can i not just well, listen to what you just said about the fact that I might be looking for somebody who's similar to me and just think, uh, OK, I'll make sure they're not similar to me. Do I get past the bias that way or will I will I be accidentally looking for somebody similar to me still? Unconscious bias is a really interesting point, and it became all, all the rage with organisations closing for a day to run unconscious bias training for all of their people. In the UK, the Equality and Human Rights Commission did a piece of research looking at the effectiveness of unconscious bias training and said, actually, unless you give people the tools that can help them reduce that bias, unconscious bias training at best is ineffective. At worst, it actually makes the situation worse because it almost justifies people are biased so thinking well it's a natural thing so I don't need to do anything about it so the key thing I don't think you should be saying right I I know about a similar to me bias so I need to recruit someone who's so different to me so I can prove that the key thing is there are tools available to help reduce unconscious bias so um a typical thing is a structured interview so actually if you look at how predictive Um, and how effective a structured interview is, it's one of the most effective ways of recruiting people and identifying the people who are gonna be right for the role. But the key point is it has to be structured. If, if If it becomes unstructured and just a chat, suddenly it loses all of that effectiveness. And that is because it does start to introduce biases. It starts to um, bring in all sorts of problems that mean it's not as effective at predicting who's gonna be effective in your role so back to your point the key thing is trust trust the tools you make use of the tools available 
trust the tools that are available so interview guides that are designed by people who really know what they're doing and help you run a really structured interview that will make sure you're selecting the right person based on what you know is important to the role not someone who's similar to you or back to your point not someone who's just as wildly different so you've got a completely different approach are there any questions that you would recommend staying away from in, in a job interview that you always hear people say um, when they start the conversations with us, I've got absolutely um, a killer question that works every time. And it, it, it's it's often something quite quirky, like um, I, I can't think of it. I can't think of any examples on the top of my head, to be honest, but it's like something that uh, is asking about how they would socialize with clients or something like that, which isn't a hugely relevant point in relation to the job and they think it's a really clever way of doing it um and it just creates just creates problems so and a, a good example is what keeps you awake at night mm -hmm. um people think that's a, a really clever question but it, it's not really it's not really going anywhere it's not particularly relevant to the role so in terms of what questions to ask again there are tools which on the back of a completion of a behavioral assessment can tell you this is what they've said about themselves here are some questions you might want to ask these are the probes you want to ask to understand that and you can choose the questions which are most relevant to what you're looking for for the role so if i ask you what keeps you up at night i guess i'm trying to find out uh about your personality by wondering what are the issues that you care about in the world is that it just open it just opens up problems it's not very targeted to the role it could be taken in any different direction and depending on where the interviewee the candidate takes it it could introduce all sorts of bias they could go down routes which immediately say okay through personal preference or whatever it flags a problem the key thing is keeping the questions really relevant to the role and, and assessing things that you need for success in that role. Right. So you might have asked a question where this candidate won't, will no longer have a fair chance in the interview process because in your head, there'll always be the guy that talked about Al Qaeda and paedophiles because you asked them <laughs> yeah. what keeps you up at night. Uh, and all well, you were trying to do was work out what kind of yeah. person they were. Yeah, that's a, a very extreme example. But yes, that's, uh, yeah, it gets to the point. Martin, that's what keeps me up at night. The Al-Qaeda training paedophiles, it's one of my worst nightmares. Uh, Simon Sinek says that trust happens between the meetings. It's the walking into a meeting, walking out of a meeting it is where trust's really built. Um, is that where people should be doing some of their best interviewing or on the way in using small talk or not? Again, you have to be really careful about that and, and what impact that will have in terms of your impression of the individual and the individual's impression of, of, of working with you. So let, let me give you an example. And, you know, I know a lot is happening in PR to, to make the industry more diverse and have different approaches in it. Mm -hmm. If you end, let's say you've ended an interview and, 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 and you've spoken to the candidate at length and you say oh, i bet you're going to go and have a really big drink um spend spend all night in the pub after this that's what we'll do as a team if that person doesn't drink for whatever reason are they going to be thinking this isn't the industry for me i don't want to be working there so 
is that those sorts of off the cuff things which you're saying just to create um you know a feeling of warmth and comfort is that actually creating a situation where people feel potentially excluded so just avoiding those really heavily loaded things where people think actually this this possibly isn't the right environment for me would be better so i'm not saying i'm not saying if you you know thinking of a traditional office if you meet someone in reception and walk to with them to where the interview is i'm not saying speak in silence because anything you do say could be held against you but right. just think about the things just think about the things that you can ask that aren't going to create a situation where you're you're you know dissuading someone from joining or perhaps um it feels like to the candidate you're trying to get information out of them which is giving you information outside of their suitability for the job so would you even stay away from something like yeah how was your weekend what did you do this weekend that kind of thing yeah it's i mean the the thing is that's a very natural question to ask you've got to think with an interviewee then they're gonna know that they're on on show the whole time so they're, if they didn't do anything at the weekend, they're probably going to to make something up. And they'll say, you know, they'll say, oh, I went to a number of different museums and did something really wholesome, even if they just spent the whole weekend didn't, you know, didn't leave the didn't leave the house with watch Netflix the whole time. They're gonna they're gonna make something up. It's gonna put people on edge. So so just think about the questions that you can ask that actually are common experiences that aren't going to make them feel they have to respond in a certain way or give you information that isn't helpful for your decision making process. So what about the age old bollocks question? What are your hobbies? What do you like to do outside of work? Is that a a no go area? Yeah, I I wouldn't typically ask that in in an interview. Um, I again thinking back to you're looking to get the the right person into the role that wouldn't tell you anything that would be helpful in in making that decision uh, and and it will can just create a number of different biases for you so for exactly i i would say that that wouldn't be something you would want to ask in an interview so, but it is one of the things i think people would ask if they were trying to make a friend so the separation is really clear there as i think what we're saying is uh be more business-like about interviewing, be more structured. You're not making friends here. You're trying to work out whether someone's going to fit into your company. Uh, I love the fact that you said whether they're going to enjoy it. That's one of the things that you're trying to find out. So mm. that's why you use a structured interview and some kind of test as well to find those things out. There is a, there is a real balance to strike on this. So, so when we train on unconscious bias and running a really good structured interview, this, the, these sorts of questions always come up and this discussion comes up it has to feel natural and i think you can go into interviews where people are so worried about doing everything by the book that it becomes a really robotic interaction so it it, you know it does have to be natural but again just think about things you can ask to provide a friendly welcoming environment that aren't necessarily going to get you information that is going to give you a bias in any direction about that particular candidate how much are you re- recruiting based on personality, though? If, if you're doing it right, are you looking at somebody and going, look, I'm going to judge their personality based on my experience of them here? 
So again, it comes back to tools that, that are available and exist. So there's lots of work that goes into showing that actually what people say about themselves, for example, in a self-report personality questionnaire, predicts how they're going to perform in the workplace. So obviously, if you have a tool that can say to you that this person is self-reporting, that they've got real strengths in terms of building rapport and convincing clients, you would want to use that information to say, okay, that's someone we'd be interested in talking to. And sometimes you've got so many applicants, you need a way of quickly identifying those that you've got the resource to see at the more resource intensive face-to-face -face stages. Sometimes you've only got a few candidates and getting that information can help you really understand what you need for the role and how well are they going to meet the demands of what you're looking for. So these tools, are we talking about psychometric tests? But there, there's a number of different tools which, again, have been proven to predict performance. So you've got cognitive ability or aptitude tests. So those are things like verbal and numerical reasoning tests. But typically, the more commonly used tools um, for particularly when you've got to the final stages and you want to understand a little bit more about the candidate is, is a behavioural assessment or a personality questionnaire or a personality tool which helps you understand an individual and, and identify their motives, their talents and how they're going to perform in a role. Personality testing sometimes gets a bad name. I think um, I, I'm personally somebody who slags off Myers-Briggs a lot because I hate it and I think it's bollocks and I'm not asking you to do the same thing but what I really would like is to get some idea of what is personality testing about? Why is it not just uh, as good as like a BuzzFeed quiz that tells me which line of duty character I'm most like? <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, I suppose a, a couple of points there. The, the key thing here is that for uh, an, an, a behavioral assessment to be useful in terms of selection, um, it has to have a couple of things. It has to be reliable. So if you were to complete um, the question on a number of different times, will it produce the same results within a, a, a particular period of time? And if you get wildly different results, then it's not it's not useful. Um, and it has to be valid. So that's back to that point around, does it predict something meaningful? So assessments will be looked at High quality assessments will be looked at by a professional body. So in the UK, the British Psychological Society run a register of, of tests that they've they've looked at and they score on a number of different criteria. And one of the criteria is reliability and validity. So you, you mentioned the Myers-Briggs there. That's one of the most well-known and commonly used tools. If you look at it and, and people who, who work for the Myers-Briggs company, they will tell you it's not a selection tool. It's, it, it can be useful in development if, you've, if you're working with people who know what they're doing and understand the tool, um, but it's not for recruitment. And if people pick it up and don't really understand what they're doing with it, any of these tools can be a little bit dangerous. And for some reason, Myers-Briggs is one of those where people feel that they can just pick it up and make really sweeping generalizations and, and, and use it, uh, which which is, is going to be a risk. So so that's a key thing then. For, for me, I hear people talking about I'm a INFJ or whatever they give themselves for initial, 
and then they use that as a roadblock or as an obstacle. Therefore, I can't do this, for example. What you're saying is actually that's a misuse of the original thing. Yeah, and the I think what what's interesting there is if you look at the different typologies in Myers-Briggs, there's there's 16. So there's 16 possible combinations of the of the different types. There's, you know, E or I, there's, there's 16 possible personality types and some are more common than others. So if you take that to its conclusion, looking at the, the UK population, there'll be over 6 million people with one particular personality type. So it's too simple to say all of those people are going to operate in a particular way. Therefore, it wouldn't be predictive of something meaningful like, you know, really reliably, how are they going to perform in a particular role? Because you're suddenly saying 6 million people are, are are behaving in a, in a particular way. There's a difference between the Myers-Briggs tool, which is a, it's called a type-based tool, so it puts people in, in a finite number of boxes, and what's called a trait tool, which says actually you're looking at behavior on a number of different scales and people fall anywhere on a continuum on those number of scales. And it's that extra level of granularity that a, a trait tool can bring you that, that makes it much more powerful in, in my view. So I can actually use these kind of things, these tests to build out my team. Let's say I've got a team that hasn't got certain strengths or I feel like actually I'm really good at helping people, let's say build rapport. I'm really good at teaching people how to do that. So if this person doesn't have that skill, that's okay. I'm going to make a decision based on the fact that they're good at other things. Yeah, exactly. It's all about that. And then that comes back to that point about understanding the role and, and what you're you're really looking for. What you said there was interesting. Um, so building rapport is perhaps one of those areas that is the most stable over time. So you wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to teach someone how to build rapport. If someone is is you know an absolute hoot at, at at twenty, likely it's likely they'll remain that way throughout their career. If someone isn't that sort of person that will immediately have that really big impact on people and, and come across as incredibly charismatic, it's unlikely you'd be able to teach that in them. So if it's really critical for the role, you'd want to understand that in the interview and understand that risk of of, of appointing someone who would struggle with that aspect of the role. So are we saying that personalities don't really change? Personalities is typically very stable over time. Um, there has been research into which areas of, of, of personality do change over the course of, of the career. And one of the areas that, that so if you look at the, the model I'm most familiar with, there are many different types of personality models. One I'm most familiar with, two of the areas which are very stable over time is that building relationships. So how people interact with others and relate with others and the area of giving support. So how empathetic are they? How much have, of a team player are they? Those don't typically shift over time. There are areas that shift much more over time. So two of the areas that do are the area of providing leadership and driving success and so making things happen. And if you think about that, that makes sense because when you start in a role, you, you come in and you have to do the job you're being told to do because you don't have the experience. Over time, you build up that you need to empower others, you need to work through others. So that side of it develops more as 
work experience goes on. So there are certainly areas of personality that are more um, changeable over time in a, in a work context. Introversion and extroversion were, were two things that you talked about. So being an introvert or being an extrovert in the kind of job that, that I work in, um, it seems to matter a lot. But to me, I was, until I read a book called Quiet by Susan Cain, I was one of those people who was out there thinking that introverts had some kind of problem that they needed to fix. And you know, I've got some very good friends who are introverts who I always felt needed to be helped with their introversion until, you know, because that's what society told us. Until I realized that actually it's just, it's a thing. You're left-handed or right-handed. You're an introvert or you're an extrovert. So when it comes to using introversion and extroversion in, um, in hiring, is that something that we need to be careful about? Do we need to be careful that we're not, because we're putting somebody into a job application process and an interview process, do we have to be careful about excluding introverts? That's a, that's a really good, it's a really good question. And it comes back to that point around, we were talking with the Myers-Briggs and having, you're either an introvert or an extrovert. It isn't as simple as that. I mean, the first point to make, we're talking earlier about the five factors of personality. If you look at the five factors at the highest level, which are the ones that predict performance, the two that predict performance at, at in the, the early research were conscientiousness, so the sort of persevering drive, and that was that's positively related with work performance. And then neuroticism or emotional stability is negatively correlated with work performance. So people who are higher on the uh, emo uh, the neuroticism scale, it was shown that their work performance would be more um, they would be less effective in terms of work performance. So introversion, extroversion didn't actually feature at that high level. As I said, it's more nuanced than that, but it is interesting mm. that people always do think, you know, extroversion, good, introversion, bad. Um, it, it, it's, it's not nearly as simple as that. And, and the areas are nuanced. So again, when you look at a, a well-designed tool, it will look at what makes up extroversion or introversion what's the difference between an introvert and an extrovert what does it what does it really mean well some of the dimensions that we look at when we're thinking is someone an extrovert or, or an introvert we look at the scales around interacting with people how they establish rapport how they impress people but you can be at different ends of the spectrum in in all of those different things so it, it's too simple to say someone's an introvert or an extrovert. And that's where it comes back to the point of what do you need for the role? Let's look at their profile and understand where the strengths and challenge areas are. So if you're looking for an account manager, you would probably want someone who's effective at interacting with people, establishing rapport, articulating information, challenging clients when they need to. Those sorts of things will be more typically associated on the introvert extrovert scale with someone who is quite extroverted so typically you might well be looking for those extroverted people for your account manager roles for managing clients but then there's going to be some real risks about that and again the key thing of, uh, of using a, 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 a personality questionnaire effectively is you look at the person in the whole and you don't look at it in a simplistic way so if someone has got all of those things 
but they've also got challenges around being a team worker or valuing individuals. They'll perhaps they'll those that combination of behaviours means that actually there could be a risk that they're too expressive, so they're too dominant in in meetings. Uh, they they they're not happy allowing silences to happen and and people to come up with ideas, so they dominate situations. So again, that comes back to that point of there might be things you you think you need in a particular role and you've identified as being critical for the role but that that will also result in some challenge areas and that comes back to that point around developing them as they go but that's a really good example of why it's far too simplistic to say introversion bad extroversion good it's really going to depend on on what you need for the role and the unique combinations of different behaviors that an individual has it's reductive almost just to say, look, somebody is an introvert because then they're more than just that or somebody is an extrovert because they're so much more. And that's what we're saying is that's a spectrum anyway. Yeah, and, and exactly. And, and so extroversion, if I give you an example, extroversion can be made up of how comfortable someone is in social situations. So just going up and, and, and talking to new people is also made up of how much that person wants to be the center of attention. Well, someone can be really good at going up and talking to people. They might really like that because they like making social connections, but they might hate being the center of attention. So they're not going to be the type of person who you say they came in and they absolutely held the room. And it, you know, on one of the areas that links into extroversion, they are on the high end of, of the scale when compared to others. On the other part of extroversion, they are on the low end of the scale when compared with others. If you say they're either introverted or extroverted, you won't get that nuance. But if you look at the traits that make up extroversion and the behaviours that feed into extroversion, you can start to get a much better picture of that individual. And that's when it becomes really powerful for making selection decisions. Cool. So if I am somebody who wants to do this kind of testing, this assessment, when I'm thinking about hiring somebody, but my company is not behind spending the money on it, is there still a way I can do some of it? Yeah, absolutely. So again, I can only talk for, for my company, which is a test publisher, but a lot I do know a lot of test publishers do the same. Often there's expert reports, which are for people who are trained and, and can use them. Um, and, and there's there's British Psychological Society accredited training to help do that. Alternatively, there are what we call business user reports. So reports that can be picked up perhaps in combination with a user guide so people can benefit from um, psychometric testing without having to go through the huge qualification. And then the cost would just be a per um, candidate cost. So a really good example is interview guides. So if someone completes psychometric, um, you can generate an interview guide and it will give you some suggestions of what to probe and how to probe them in an interview. And it will give you that structure that you can follow, which, as I mentioned earlier, will make your assessment process more more predictive of performance in the future. So whatever assessment you're using, what you're saying is make sure it is evidence based. And that's why the British uh, Society of Psychologists, is it? will British Psychological Society, yeah they will uh they will verify it endorse it whatever um so make sure it's evidence-based make sure that it's not personality types it's traits because personality types are a little bit well i'm saying zodiac like reductive 
traits actually are complicated enough to kind of make realistic predictions about how someone's going to do and how they'll feel. Yeah, the, the British Psychological Society will do the hard work for you. So it will tell you what, if you're interested in using a tool, it, there will be a, 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 a review by the British Psychological Society that will tell you what it can be used for. And for example, whether it can be used for selection or not, based on the evidence of it being predictive and, and, and the sort of quality of the, 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 the way it's been designed. Um, so that is available. And also, you know, there are people like myself who are chartered psychologists who apply to um, the British Psychological Society ethical code. So if you come to us and ask about advice on which assessments to use, by that code, we're we bound to give you the right support and make sure you're using it in a safe way. So there are people there to support. Don't feel that people need to use these bu BuzzFeed, which Harry Potter house are you? There's stuff that, that works and, and does what it needs to, that you can get in contact with. Thank you, Martin. You can find out more about Martin Kavanagh by following him on Twitter. He's at Martin underscore assess. If you want to find out more about who's coming up on the podcast and put some questions to them, have a look at henschelcenter.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.